but she was 21 and a professional model, and I thought that's what it would be like to be 16. Hello, and welcome to Hug and a High Five. It's a mom and daughter podcast journal. I'm Ingrid, I'm the daughter. And I'm Vicky, I'm the mom. I'm trying to figure out how to be an adult. I'm trying to figure out how to parent an adult and live as an adult who is more than a parent. I live in New York City. And I live in Los Angeles. And this is Hug and a High Five. Hello, Ingrid. Hello. Happy fall. Yes, indeed. Mom said, oh, there's clouds in the sky. This must be what fall is. <laughs> yep, this is what fall looks like oh, in California. Man. It looks like fall until probably 930 and then it's summer again. <laughs> It's summer. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Mom, today uh, I thought it would be fun to talk about the way that media has um, shaped our lives. <laughs> Which, you know, really we could talk about on any subject. Media shapes our lives in most of the ways. But specifically, I found a place this week where I was sort of reflecting on who I thought I would be when I was a kid, which was not really accurate for who I am. And then I watched a musical and found a character that was very much like me. But the lyrics that she sang in her songs painted her as a different picture than who she really was. And I was like, oh, I was taught by, I don't know, society, media in general, art in general, sort of like how to perceive myself based on who I aspire to be by these characters. Everyone aspires to be someone that they see on screen. That's part of the joy of TV and movies is that you put yourself in that situation and you read yourself into that character. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it is helpful to then like take a step back and really decide if that's who you want to be or if that's accurate to who you are. And I think that we could talk about the ways that different movies and TV shows have shaped our expectations for a lot of different portions of our life because we see early childhood and parenting and dating and high school and college and adulthood all depicted in movies and TV. And they really do like give us sometimes an accurate but often a false picture of what we think that part of our life is going to be. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in the lyrics of the character you were watching, though, that's interesting because you said she seemed like you, the character you were watching seemed like you, and then she sang lyrics and that was not like you? Yeah, okay, so I was watching She Loves Me, a little deep dive into musical theater here. <laughs> but She Loves Me is uh, based on a play first. I should have looked this up. Uh, but it is the same story as the old movie... The Shop Around the Corner, which is the same story as You've Got Mail with Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. Um, so it's that it's that whole same story. It's the two people that are like enemies in real life, but they have a, um, an anonymous letter. Or, of course, in You've Got Mail, it's an anonymous like chat room where they fall in love on, over correspondence. And then they, have to, they realize that they're actually in each other's lives in person and they've got to reconcile those two relationships. Hmm. In she, the she Loves Me version... Amalia is her name. Amalia is a very spunky, I-can-do-it-myself kind of person. It, the, the musical is set in 1930s Budapest, and mm. she is a single woman past her quote-unquote prime as far as getting married back then. Yeah. Who goes in by herself to this shop, this perfumery, and gets herself a job. And is, like, so sassy and the whole cult, like 
conflict between her and her male counterpart in real life is that she speaks her mind and he pushes back against her and they like all these quips and that's who we know Amalia to be. And then it, she sings a song right before they meet in person for the first time, she and this dear friend that she has been corresponding mm. with. And she sings the words, will he like me when we meet? Will he like the shy and quiet girl he's going to see? And I was like, Amalia, very little about you is shy and quiet. <laughs> Does it, do you think that she had the wrong perception of herself or was that just the persona she was choosing to put on when she met him and she knew what she was doing? I think a little bit of both. I think it's how she felt, for sure. Like, she felt shy, and and she does continue writing. Or in the song, she says, you know, like, when I'm alone at home and I'm writing, thoughts come easily. Like, words come fluently. But in person, this is going to be awkward, basically. And I'm nervous. Mm. So she's, she's nervous. And I, I resonate with all of those things. But it mm. was a interesting just little microcosm for me because— I, all the way through high school, fancied myself this, like, demure housewife type. Like, I will mother everyone. (laughs) Mom is literally laughing because it's ridiculous. Like, that's not really who I am. But I think there are some interesting milestones in my life that have sort of taught me how to accept myself as a far more gregarious, very silly person in in all of my life. I was always that way at home with my dearest family. But I think that's part of the reason that it made sense for me to like go to college in the South in a place that also has a culture that at least stereotypically is much more get married young and make house and like mother everyone mm. around you, a sort of classic female stereotype. Because I thought that's what would bring me joy. Like I really thought like that's who I was. And then I like didn't really mesh there. And of course, I feel far more called to be in somewhere like New York, which is wacky and pushes boundaries and anyway I just find myself to be far more spunky and far more like Amalia than I ever would have thought myself to be but I think that's Mm. because so many ingenues in the musical theater canon are spunky sassy people who also sing such high soprano notes that everyone thinks of them as vapid oh interesting wow I was going a different way with what you were thinking because I was thinking about you when you were a kid and it is natural. It's been studied in, in through psychology that ch- girls are more nurturing than boys and girls tend towards playing house and things. And we, when as young parents... I hadn't studied a lot about psychology. I just was like nature and emergence. Uh, so, you know, you had the dolls, you had the horses, you played what you want. You tend to be, when you were little, kind of a mother hen, like this is the way to do things. Kids are more rigid and a, you had an easier time slipping into the rigid roles and it's more comfortable to be like, okay, we, the, I know what to do. Let's do it this way. And then you would, at the, I think what happened when we didn't recognize it this way is your leadership qualities came out and you're like, come on, everybody, come along and do it this way. Yeah. But I think what people do to a young child and then a growing child is they misinterpret those leadership qualities, especially if it's a girl. (laughs) They misinterpret those leadership qualities as being mothering and they limit it. Like Mm -hmm. mom, definitely moms are leaders. Yeah. And so I feel like, but it's maybe more common for people to narrow 
and simplify mm-hmm. roles of people. And this is where it comes back around to what we see in entertainment and media because we see more two-dimensional characters, yeah. ironically, on a two-dimensional screen. Yes, of course. <laughs> or in theater. We don't see as much nuance. And as theater has gone on and people get Academy Awards and what is the other thing? Tonys. Tonys. <laughs> you get ton- Tonys Tonys in New York? Is that what you get? Yeah, for musicals, yeah. Uh, okay. I think people are starting to notice like the nuance in characters and uh, recognize that a little bit more. But on the rise of theater, which has been over, I don't know, the past hundred years, really, mm-hmm. like the rise yeah. of theater for the mass market. Mm-hmm. And then as movies became popular and TV became popular, and now it's like never ending all the time in our hand. Yes. Uh, you never have to stop watching something entertaining. The more nuanced is more popular. I think that's true. And we are getting much more nuanced with things. And I love that about culture. I mean, I think that's gonna, hopefully going to be always true, that the next generation just becomes more and more nuanced and complicates things healthfully. And I do love those mothering, quote unquote, tendencies in me. Like, First of all, just like factually, like I want to be a mom someday. I love the idea of like having a family that I and to children that I raise of my own someday. Mm-hmm. But it, you're right. I think it was just like those were the leadership qualities in me that did take into account each person's, like, in a group, each individual's skills and called them to attention versus necessarily just telling them what to do, although I did plenty of that growing up as well. <laughs> um, that can feel a little bit more like a mother because you are being specific to each person's need. So it's interesting when when you talk about being a mother, and I know people labeled you as a mother. They right. labeled you as a mother hen. Right. And I know, and you kind of settled into that role and took on that persona. But it's so sad because like you said, it it limited you and it even limited where you thought you would be the most comfortable at going to college. Yeah. And all of those things. Whereas in my own defense, as a mother, <laughs> stepping back, um, thinking about the qualities of a mother is somebody that does take on leadership roles, somebody that does the emotional labor. I just studied this last week for the group. Yeah. And the the emotional labor is the planning and the action and the delegating and the follow through. And if it's not delegated accurately, they make sure of the follow through and that is a boss does that to a certain degree. Oh, for sure. You're the CEO of the house. But they don't do it with the emotional IQ. Right. They don't have to be kind necessarily. Right. So there's much more called of for a Mm. mother, but we don't give mothers a lot of credit. So in my self-defense. Preach. (laughs) Preach. I did so much. (laughs) All mothers do so much. You were taking on those roles. Unfortunately, it was just funneled down into the label mother mother right. or mothering or mother hen. Right. Which started to feel like a quieter, again, like shy and quiet girl, to take from the lyrics, sort of a role that was like specific to the household and demure is the word that keeps coming to mind there. Mm. So I do appreciate as I grow up the ways to complicate that narrative and say, first of all, like not all mothers are demure. (laughs) 
to be a good, especially like in today's age, like really to be a good mother, especially a good mother of like a full household, you have to be very assertive. There's nothing like shy and quiet about it, really. So then let's bring it back to media again. What were some of the TV shows or movies that came to mind that's helped shape your picture of yourself? Oh, to, like she loves me. Stretch it. Um, that's a great question. I mean, I think of the things that we intentionally exposed you to as sure. a child. So we didn't expose you to a lot of TV shows, but we, you know, Mr. Rogers when you were little was pretty mm-hmm. much it. <laughs> and then you were pretty young when we started showing you Sound of Music and Mary Poppins, the nanny movies. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Julie Andrews. So that shapes, you know, one picture. And that's kind of a demure person. She's spunky, but she's That's the thing kind of is narrow. like, why do we call her demure when she is so spunky? But something comes yeah. to her mind. But like, no, she talks back. She loses her job. Well, she gives her job up for a while. But she almost loses her job right at the beginning just because she walks into the wrong room and talks back to the captain and whistles at him. You know, like, yeah, it's funny that we, I, I don't know, because she's the mother or because she's the nanny or just because she sings really high. Why do we decide that she is like she's not doing picture perfect? Yeah. You're right. I love Sound of Music as it's like the most on-brand example for me in general because <laughs> it has begun with my life. But what I one thing I love about it is that I can pinpoint different songs from that musical into different portions of my life. Like I've listened to mm-hmm. different songs on repeat depending on what I'm going through mm-hmm. in my life. So, I mean, Doe Deer is such a classic song for like growing up, but it is the one that as an elementary school I latched on to. And of course... You have raindrops on roses for like anytime you're afraid. I have Mm -hmm. confidence is the one that I think about when I think about growing up. The first, I've said this before, but the first time, my very first day of acting school when I did that acting intensive in New York City at Michael Howard Studios, I listened to I Have Confidence on repeat on the way there just to like bolster Mm -hmm. myself and get myself ready. and And then there's a... There's a verse that it's not in the movie to the reprise of 16 going on 17. <laughs> is it the where Maria sings with her? That Maria sings, yeah. And it is, I just think, the most beautifully truthful little mantra. And I sing it all the time to myself. A bell is no bell till you ring it. A song is no song till you sing it. And love in your heart wasn't put there to stay. Love isn't love until you give it away. Mm. And I just sing it all the time. Anyway, Sound of Music is a great one. I, the other reason I was going to mention Sound of Music is because of my expectation of what it meant to be 16. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because yeah, Charmian Carr is the most gorgeous human. But she was 21 and a professional model. And I thought that's what it would be like to be 16. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's very disillusioning. Yes. Also, I thought that once you became 16, you just had, like, beautifully thick and lovely hair. And then I'm never going to have hair like her. Thick and lovely hair and perfect skin that's not—no blemishes on it. Right. Not not what you're in, is in your DNA or you inherit. Also, 16 going on 17, she's thinking about, like, marrying Rolf, and that shouldn't be what I was thinking about either. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> I do feel bad about that. I feel I feel bad, and I think I've said to you that we didn't set you up very well for the reality of men based on the movies that we watched, particularly you. Yeah, we just watched so many romances, which are my favorite, so, like, I get it. Well, we didn't talk about the time period mm. or the age. 
yeah. of the characters. Like in the a lot of we watch a lot of historical romances and the age of the characters they did they got married younger. That's just right. what they did. Uh, and but they were typically marrying someone that was older, and it was just a different time, and we didn't acknowledge that, and mm. it didn't even occur to me. <laughs> so now I think about it, and I'm like, huh, that would have been a really good thing to have a conversation about. <laughs> well, one of the most recent movies that has been really helpful, actually, for like shaping how I think about myself now, or just how I think about the world now are the Nora Ephron movies that like go into even the same story, but you've got male instead of she loves me. But it's uh-huh. two people a little a little later in life, like well set in their careers and well established as people individually who then like meet mm-hmm. and and fall in love. And they're they already are like are in the dating scene and and actually like a lot of those Nora Ephron characters between You've Got Male and When Harry Met Sally are really helpful, actually, to sort of think, just like to open my thought process to what is this world that I do live in now? Of course, those were the 90s, but that's a far cry from the 40s. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've updated ourselves. And I don't subscribe to like dating culture or like sleeping around culture or like a lot of those tropes of my usual age group. But it's still mm-hmm. really helpful to watch movies like that just to like recognize the world that I live in and the culture that I live in. Similarly, a TV show we watch on Hulu, The Bold Type, is Mm. just like three women my age living their careers and like figuring out how to date and fall in love and like have their own careers. And I found those really educational and helpful. And they, mostly because they, to, to your point about the way that we've continued to complicate and nuance characters on screen... They mm-hmm. each have personal questions and personal struggles and a lot more to them than the relationship. Wow, that's good to see. I've never heard of that one, so I will have to check it out. Is it comparable to any other show? Do you know? I don't really know what I would compare it to. It's not a sitcom, but it is like kind of feel-good, three best friends living their lives. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> does it take place in New York? Yes, it does. Nice. How about you? When we were thinking about this subject, we we reflected on the fact that there's not really a way to talk about like marriage in movies because any good marriage is not interesting enough for a movie. <laughs> I know, we were talking about that. There's seldom unless you have like the side character story. So, we watched Brady Bunch. There's a yes. good marriage, but it's a second marriage. And I watched a lot of Little House on the Prairie, and that's a good marriage. Yeah, that's true. I I could never watch the Little House on the Prairie movies because I'm a, a diehard book purist. But both in the, I mean, they do a good job in the TV shows for sure. And it, both the the book and the TV show has a, a great a great marriage between Ma and Pa. Yeah, you have to think of it as a different thing, not the same thing. Yeah, and but it really it, it kind of carries some of the things that were important in the seventies because it was made in the seventies. I will say the thing about a good marriage is that it isn't necessarily clean like good marriages are still messy they just you you have the tenacity and the loyalty and the humility to keep going right to work through it Mm -hmm. and I do wonder I just haven't watched a lot of the the newer shows but I feel like there there are ways that people are trying to explore marriage in movies a little bit Mm -hmm. more now but even a quote-unquote good marriage in a in a movie or tv shows that we've seen are either 
bad because they're messy or good because they're so congenial. And that's not really true. Well, like we've said, marriages as side topics, we can see them as good. Like we were talking about Moonstruck and the aunt and uncle have a good marriage and it's kind of cute. And when I think I was just thinking about the movie Dreamer, which is about a girl and a horse, but you know, it's in the setting of a mom and dad who are married. That's true. Yeah. So they have hard time in their marriage and they have disagreements, but they work it out and they come together. Yeah. Those are pictures. I mean, when I was growing up in the 80s, I was, it was like the Molly Ringwald era era, Mm -hmm. and the Matt Dillon and the um, Breakfast Club and things like that. So that's the kind of teen. And actually those were more true to teen life. Yeah. I saw those kind of movies and I was like, yep, that's teen life. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, they did it. That's true. Uh, So that was kind of helpful to me. But I liked all of the classic musicals and things. I mean, I, my growing up was more like the Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly movies, which is just so fantastical. It's not, I didn't really equate it to be like, oh yeah, I want to marry somebody like Gene Kelly or. Well, which is <laughs> good. That's really good, honestly, because anytime you add it to a musical, it's going to be more fantastical. And um, yeah. it's nice that you actually did have a little barrier there. It was a little easier to separate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for you guys, I feel. Like, oh, man, I wish we had understood how to have that conversation, like more conversation around what are you seeing right now and what are you taking from it? I mean, I hear you and your sisters talk about this is what I thought when I was 10 or when I was 15. And I'm like, (laughs) like, really? I lived with you that whole time. <laughs> I didn't know you were thinking that. Is, right. That's what you, like, when you acted like that, that's what you were meaning? And I'm just like, huh, the, what, what goes on in the mind of a person that you don't know? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Do you think there were, like, subliminal messages about parenting in that way, too, that affected you because of media? Like, the whole, one of the big tropes in media is that is like, as soon as they're high schoolers, they're just unruly basket cases, and it's going to be an awful six years, and it, maybe it was. <laughs> were you prepared for that? No. No, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot. I wasn't prepared for high school. <laughs> I, I, I sigh when I think about your and your middle sister's high school. It's kind of painful memories to me. <laughs> Your youngest sister's high school experience is totally different to me. But my, I'm like at a totally different place in life. Yeah, I teach these parent ed classes now. And I, I was have been able to participate in the teenage parent ed class. And I just even think, wow, my hmm. life would be so different if I had participated in this with my first child rather than my third child. Hmm. <laughs> Because I didn't know. You know, everybody does the best that they can all the time. That's what, always what I tell my parents. Your child is doing the best that they can. I was always an intentional parent. You yes. could never fault me for being a negligent That's parent. That's true. I just didn't know what I was getting into. Never been there before. I was at a different place in what I, the way I spent my time. Your dad was at a different place in the way he spent his time and in his career. So, yeah, it's like, you know the money morning quarterback 2020 hindsight yeah of course do you think that mostly how did that manifest itself is there like a big idea thing you would change i don't know i mean i jumped in with both feet to involvement with the school that you were in partly because we had parent hours required of us And that's what I had observed with the moms around me. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those moms that I saw in front of me, that was all they had to do. (laughs) Mm. They didn't didn't work. 
So they were like, on in some regards, a little bit too intertwined in their child's lives. Yeah. And so there's a balance of, I, I'm reluctant to use the word detachment because I don't like that, but like kind of a balance of perspective. And there's a difference between enmeshment, like enmeshed yeah and empathic and mm, yeah i i i think i became a little enmeshed in your lives if i understood more about being empathic versus being enmeshed i th- would have been better for me and i think mm. it probably would have been better for you i think that's a a beautiful way to say it that's definitely super tricky as far as like the spectrum of being too enmeshed with your child goes i don't think you were very bad <laughs> Because I think about, <laughs> I think about like you want to go all the way back to Mrs. Bennett in Pride and Prejudice, or mm-hmm. um, Mrs. George, Regina George's mom in Mean Girls. Like, oh my gosh, oh, yeah. that level of like, I want to be cool mom, so I will not even have any boundaries or like morality because I want to be inside your life. You ne- first of all, you never got there because you were always a clear moral pillar for me. At least, mm-hmm. even if it was just in like, I'm going to seek to find the answer and it's okay to do better next time. You were always a clear moral pillar. So you never, you never got there. <laughs> and I think any person would tell you that like has had a mom that's like that wants to be cool mom that much. And that's, I think, the point of, of the Mean Girls character because the whole mm-hmm. of the Mean Girls movie is, is like a cautionary tale. Like at that point, yeah. your your child doesn't respect you then and will actually share less with you. Right. They can see through that. They can see the insecurity through that. Do you, Mom, have any movies or TV shows that you do look at now as like a more a more positive place for you? Like an inspiration or, a, you know, like I mentioned something like When Harry Met Sally, which is it's a movie of a very imperfect world, but it feels more accurate and more like food for thought and like invites me into thinking about my real world in a better way, which is why I find it effective. I feel like that's what's lovely about media. Yeah. Are there things that you're reading or watching right now that is like, this is comforting because it sort of makes me feel known and also makes me think about the world I live in? No movie is coming to mind directly, but I like movies and most movies are end this way where people come to a place of resolution and change right in their life or in the, in the, a willingness to grow and usually good movies they take a, a turn where people are willing to look at themselves that's in true a new light and i always appreciate that where people are willing to look at themselves and and uh reflect on their judgments and change that's true in regard to that and so i'm that that's where i identify with the characters in in whatever movie i'm watching is is when the characters are able to reflect on themselves i mean i mean even as hokey and as funny as high school musical is <laughs> they kind of come to a place where they reflect on themselves and they were like oh i was like this and like this and you know i don't need to be that way i can that's true I can be like this well i think that's a wonderful call to to end this with that that's what we should be looking for in media is things that remind us to look inside ourselves and and to help the world and like act out of personal engagement and personal change we always have to look in first before we just try to change everything else absolutely that's one of the beautiful lessons of all movies that are are good qualities when the people look in and go huh like you sang as bell there needs to be a change in me (laughs) that's right yeah 
it's a good place to stop and think about what change in me am I going to look at? Here, here. It's a good exhortation. (laughs) All right. Have a good week, Ingrid. I love you. Thanks. Love you too, Mama. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hug and a High Five. Yep. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to suggest a topic, ask us a question, or share your mom-daughter story, please email us at hugandahighfivepodcast at gmail.com. That's hugandahighfivepodcast at gmail.com. All words, hug and a high five podcast at gmail.com. Have a great week.